Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church family. Are you glad you're here this morning? Okay. A little underwhelming. I've heard about the 1115 service that you guys are a rowdy bunch, so I expect you to live up to your expectation and your reputation, okay? My name is Michael, and I serve as the family minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, and it's a privilege to be here today. I actually, this is my second time here, I came and spoke at Marriage Rocks at the Banta campus last August, and it's always nice to be invited somewhere once, but I love it when I get invited back because that means I haven't messed up too badly. So thank you for having me back. And I want to say I did not come by myself, but I brought my wife Jill with me, and I'm really excited that she's here. And as family minister, I work with uh, marriages and uh, also with parents at our church. And so we are going to start a two-week series on imperfect family because there's no such thing as a perfect family. To have a perfect family, it will require perfect people. And I don't know about you guys, I am not perfect. Anybody else out there perfect? No. Okay. And you know, but, but we all want to have that perfect family. We all want to have that family. And the crickets are starting already. Wow. <laughs> this is my good stuff, all right? <laughs> Got to wait till later for that. Right? No, I'm just but, you know, we all have this dream of having this perfect family, but it doesn't, it doesn't happen. I am reminded of this past Christmas Eve. At our church, all of our staff had to be at all 11 of our Christmas Eve services. And so we were there all day long. And that evening, we were going to gather over at my wife's parents' house to celebrate Christmas with her uh, brother and his family and his, her sister and his family that drove in from Illinois. And so after 11 services, I was looking forward to being with the family. But I got to be honest with you, I was a little bit tired. I was a little bit wrung out and worn out. And so we go over to their house. We had a great dinner. I mean, it's this 1,200 square foot, one-story ranch house with about 47 people in it, okay? And you got grandma and grandpa, you got the parents, and you got all these cousins just running around everywhere, you know? And um, so we had a great dinner. We opened presents about 9.30 or 10 o'clock. We decided it's time to start heading back to our houses. And so the cousins are piling in everybody's different cars because they're sleeping over and everything. And i got to be honest with you, I've been waiting for this moment because I was really starting to get tired. And I don't know what it was like here in Indianapolis, but in Louisville on Christmas Eve, it was about 65 degrees. And we got about four inches of rain. Okay, so it was this weird Christmas Eve kind of night. And I had gotten there kind of last, so there was about 17 minivans parked in the driveway, and I was the last one kind of blocking everybody in. So I just go out first and move my car over to the side uh, and wait for everybody to get out. And it was amazing to watch this kind of uh, the, this shuffling of vans. Everybody was trying to get in and get out and move and don't run over any of the kids, you know, and did you get all my presents and all this stuff going on. And so I'm sitting here, and Jill took it upon herself as a firstborn child in her family with a strong personality. She was going to direct all the traffic for her siblings and everything, which always goes well. But she was out there directing traffic. I had the windows open on the van, and I'm just waiting. And I've got my 10-year-old son, Jacob, and our little 10-year-old um, niece, Katie, in there. Sweet little Katie was in the back with us. And so I'm just sitting there. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. Did I mention I'd had a long day, right? And so I, I am ready to go. And so uh, Jill just kind of taps on the back window of our car and goes, hey, can you move up a little bit? You know, there's some, there's some mud right here. Can you move up? I go, sure. So I move up a few feet and I stop and I'm like, okay, you know, come on, let's get going. Let's get going. And a, a few moments later, she knocks this time a, a little harder. Hey, can you move up a little further? There's some mud here. And I'm like, all right, I'll move up. And so I move up a little bit further. 
And I'm sitting, I'm like, come on, let's get going. We're just wasting time. You know, I'm ready to get in bed. It's been a long day, you know, all this stuff. Well, the third time the knock came, it was not quite so sweet, okay? It was like, boom, boom. She goes, I'm up to my ankles in mud up here. Can you move the car forward? So, guys, you know how you have this thought <laughs> in your mind? And in your mind, it's a genius move, right? I go, she wants the car moved. I'm going to move the car. And so I stomp on the accelerator as much as I can, and the front wheels start to spin, and all of a sudden I see mud flying past the window. You know how you have that moment where it's a genius thought? And then you realize, I am in big trouble. <laughs> and so I remember just going, oh, you know, it was one of those moments where you're like, yes. And it turns into no, right? And I stomp on the brakes, and it's dark outside, so I look in the rearview mirror, and all I can see lit up in my taillights is my wife covered in mud. She has this big chunk of mud right here that looks like a football player's eye black, you know? And she walks over, and she opens the door to the car. And she uses my middle name. <laughs> she says, Michael, Andrew. And I'm like, I I I'm sorry, honey. She goes, I am up to my ankles in mud. Well, sweet little Katie sticks her head up from the back seat and says, Aunt Jill, it's not just your ankles. Your whole body's covered <laughs> in mud. <laughs> and I knew at that moment this situation could go either way. One way is I would not live to see Christmas morning. <laughs> or the other way, something else would happen. And thank goodness, Jill has a great sense of humor, and everybody just started laughing. It was a true Christmas miracle. I lived to see <laughs> the next day. But isn't that how life is? We have a great experience with our family, and things are going good. And when in an instant, something happens, and, want, and we go off the rails a little bit, you know. And I think that's what happens in our marriage a lot. And so today we're going to be talking about how can we have a marriage that thrives and doesn't just survive? How can we do that? Now, for some of you here today, I know you're going, yes, we're going to be talking about how to have a better marriage. I'm getting up my notes. I'm taking notes, right? And then the husbands are in the room going, oh, great, another talk on marriage, right? Well, here's what I want you to stick with this. But I also know there's a lot of people in this room who aren't yet married. You're single, or maybe you're a kid. You're not old enough to be married yet. Or maybe you're a person that's not married any longer, maybe through divorce or death. You're no longer married. Married, But here's what I want you to know. I believe that God's word is true. And I believe that every word of God's word is true. And so that we can always learn. So whether you're married or not, I want you to draw out some principles that you can use in your key relationships. Well, I thought it only makes sense that we go back and take a look at one of the couples from the Bible that was married to see how they were and how they lived. And the ones I picked was Adam and Eve. I thought, you know what? They're the first couple in the history of the world. I mean, everything that we argue and disagree about today, they didn't have to deal with, right? What's the number one thing couples argue about? Money, right? Money wasn't invented. 
all right? He didn't have to worry about Eve going out and running up the credit card. She didn't have to worry about him going out and buying a boat and coming home and go, surprise, you know? It didn't happen. They, they, God created both of them. They didn't have in-laws, so she didn't have to worry about her mother-in-law going, you know, that's not the way I did that, you know? Or, or, the fa- or he didn't have to worry about the father-in-law going and saying, you know, I'm just not sure you're good enough for my little girl. They're, I'm the only man in the world, okay? This is as good as it gets, okay? Right? He doesn't have- so we're going to go back and take a look at that, and we're going to see that early on in their relationship, and I believe in our relationships as well, romance takes over. Romance just blossoms. You remember when you first were in love or you first were dating or first engaged, how romantic? Well, let's see what Adam and Eve did. Let's take a look at their story. And so what's going on is that man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, the wild animals, and but Adam found no suitable but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. You see, God gave Adam the coolest job in the world, okay? He said, you see all these animals? I want you to name them. Wouldn't that have been an awesome job? You know, I would have been like long neck, uh, yellow and brown thingy, okay? And it would then no, too hard to spell. Okay, giraffe, because that's easier to spell, right? No, not really, okay? But he had that name. But as he's looking, none of the animals he found a suitable helper. And so the next verse tells us that the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with the flesh. And what did God do then? The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, if you know this story from all the way back in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, it's such a sweet story because God literally takes a piece of Adam out of him and he handcrafts the perfect person for him in Eve. What an amazing concept that God would do that. And so Adam is taking a nap and he wakes up and looks what happens. The man wakes up and he said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of me, out of me. Do you see what happens? Do you see what Adam does? Adam wakes up and he sees this perfect person that God handcrafted for him standing in front of him. We learn later on in the chapter that she had no clothes on, okay? He sees her and he starts writing poetry. I mean, he's head over heels. He, there's never been a poem written, we don't think, in the Bible. And he starts writing poems. He's like, holy smokes. I think the title of this poem will be Yowza, okay? This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Where she was taken away. She was called woman. And it goes on. And he says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and he's united to his wife. Okay, did Adam have a mom or dad? The answer is no. All right, he didn't, God, God created him. He's just making stuff up. This guy is so in love with this woman. He's like, if I had somebody called a mom that gave me life, man, I'd leave her for you, you know? And if I had a dad that just paid for everything in my life and gave me a place to live, I'd just leave him behind for you. I mean, Adam is head over heels in love because romance has taken over. And it says he will leave his mother and father and united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, in this verse, we kind of get the concept, or I would say, you guys have been talking about life verses, a life verse for most men. The first half of the verse is a life verse for most men. Get out of the house, find a good woman, and have sex, right? I mean, if you feed us, and that, and you feed us, we're happy, right? But fortunately, the verse doesn't stop there. 
God and most women agree. There's more to it than that, isn't there, ladies? Wow, okay. All right, there's more to it, isn't there, ladies? Yes, there is. Because God describes something where they come together and they have true intimacy. Because it says Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. If you stand before your spouse totally naked, you can't hide anything. There's no secrets, are there? It's more than just a physical relationship. It's knowing everything about your spouse, the good, the bad, and the really bad, and still saying, I love you. I choose you. You see, it's more than just a physical relationship. It's more than just getting out of the house. It's about true intimacy that God wants you to have. And I believe that just like Adam and Eve, every marriage starts with romance. Do you guys remember romance? Do you remember what she used to do? Jill and I have been married 27 years, and I'll never forget when we were engaged that um, I was working, I was an intern at a church in Louisville, and she was working as a bank teller in St. Louis. And uh, this was before cell phones or email or uh, texting, and um, we used to have to talk to each other on a phone, like an actual phone that was attached to the wall by a cord, and you got charged per minute on long distance, you know? And so we found out that after 7 o'clock it was cheaper, and so uh, I was in a house with a bunch of the guy interns, and the only phone in the whole house was in the laundry room, okay? And so the cord wasn't quite long enough, so I would talk to Jill as we were engaged, as we were dating, sitting on a dryer that was running and humming, you know, like this, and with a timer there, keeping track of the amount of time because I only made $100 a week and my phone bill was about 60 bucks a week. I was head over heels in love with her because every marriage gets consumed with romance early on. I believe that we have to choose to be romantic. But as we'll see in Adam and Eve's story and as it happens in most of our stories is that after romance takes over, reality sets in, doesn't it? Reality sets in. And here's what happened in Adam and Eve's story. It's that now, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. So he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And then she goes on to say, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now the truth is, God had said don't eat of the tree. He didn't say don't touch it. But Eve was being really careful and so she said, we're not even supposed to touch it. Okay? And so here they are. You get the situation? The Bible says that she's talking to the serpent, which is the most crafty animal. And the truth is it represents Satan. Eve is talking to Satan himself. Okay, and here's what Satan says back to her. Satan says, you will not, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And throughout history, mankind has blamed Eve for bringing sin in. But there's one thing we forget. 
Because the next part of that verse says, and she gave some to Adam who was there with her. Do you see what happened? Adam went from just being a fool for Eve and couldn't do enough for her and was writing poetry and was making up moms and dads that he never even knew, okay? I mean, he was head over heels to now when she's in the most dangerous situation of her life. He's standing passively by and just watching. If you're married, I want you to imagine that later on tonight, you guys, you and your wife or you and your husband decide that you're going to go take a walk through your neighborhood. And as you're walking through your neighborhood, your wife gets a text from one of her friends, and so she starts texting back, and you notice that your shoe's untied, so you bend down and you decide to tie your shoe, and when you look up, there is a huge truck barreling out of control at your wife. You know that this means certain death for her because it's going to hit her. So what do you do? Well, of course, you grab your phone out and you say, hey, honey, there's a big truck coming your way. You might want to jump out of the way. Kissy face emoji, send, right? Right. No, what you do is, is you see that and you yell her name and you run as fast as you can. And with no regard to your own physical body, right, men, you jump in front of the bus and push her out of the way so that she may live even if you give up your life in the nick of time. Isn't what, that what we do, guys? One. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to throw a softball up. You ready, guys? So you look up and you see a truck barreling towards her. You yell her name. You sprint at the top of your voice. You dive in front of the truck with no regard for your own physical body and push her to safety. Isn't that what we do, guys? That's right. That's exactly what we do. We do that, but Adam doesn't. Do you know what Adam does when his wife is faced with a serious situation? He stands there. He does absolutely nothing. The woman of his life, the only woman in the world, by the way, but the woman of his dreams, the woman that was handcrafted by God, he stands there and does nothing. Because there had been a not-so-subtle shift in their relationship where romance takes over to where reality sets in. And the next verse we read, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Adam and Eve realized that they weren't perfect. And so they went and found the biggest leaves they could and sewed them up. And the story in in Genesis chapter 3 goes on to say that God came looking for them in the garden. Now, God created the garden. He knows everything. He knew where they were. But God asks a question. He goes, where are you? And I believe that that question was not physical. Adam and Eve, where are you? I can't see you. I think he was asking Adam and Eve, where's your heart? Where's your heart? I think God's asking some married couples in this room today that very same question. I would imagine in every row of this auditorium, there's at least one couple who's just barely holding on. Their marriage is not what it used to be. In fact, it's horrible. One or both of you may have decided this is it. This is our last chance. Maybe you're just staying together for the kids. 
Maybe you're just staying together so you don't have to face everything, but you're basically just roommates in the same house. And your marriage has changed because reality has set in. And you're just barely holding on. And I would say to you that the same question that God asked Adam and Eve in the garden that day, he's asking you today. Where are you? Where's your heart? Being a minister at the church, and especially family minister, I'll get a call from couples sometimes who say that their, their marriage is in trouble. <clears throat> That's not really the truth. The guy never calls. It's always the wife. Hey, we're going through a tough season. Would you be willing to meet with us, talk with us? And then by, the time, by the time they get in my office, uh, they really become honest, and they say, <laughs> we're in trouble. In fact, this is our last-ditch effort. And I have yet to find a couple whose relationship with God, individually and together as a couple, was in a good place that's having marital problems. I believe God is asking those of you that are on the edge right now, I don't believe it's a coincidence that you're here today. Where are you? Where are you? And my prayer would be that you would run to God. That you wouldn't try and dress yourself up or appear like everything's okay. But that you would run to your creator and say, we need you. And just like Adam and Eve, we have to make the choice every day in our marriage. Wouldn't it be great if whenever you stood before the minister or the judge at the, at the courthouse and you said, uh, for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, and sickness and health, to love and cherish, and to separated by death, that's all you had to do. One time, boom, got it. It's every single day. It's every single day. But when reality sets in, it gets hard. Jill and I have been married for, for a long time. We have three kids. Our life is not at all exciting okay? It's filled with laundry, dishes, preparing meals, doing homework. I hated homework as a kid. I hated it as a dad, okay? It's getting kids bathed. It's putting them in bed, and finally we fall into bed totally exhausted, and you know what we get to do in about five or six hours? The whole thing again, and we begin to think of life, I call it the treadmill of parenting, where you're just on this treadmill, you're running, you're running, you're running, you're running, you don't advance your family, but there's no fatalities, so hey, we had a good day, right? <laughs> and we just totally fall into bed exhausted, and there are seasons like that, but here's what I want you to know, that is the grind of life, but we often think that our spouse is the grind. Here's what I want you to see, your spouse is not the grind of life. Life is the grind. In the same way that God handcrafted Eve just for Adam and gave her to, to Adam as a wife, God has handcrafted your spouse. Now, we all believe that God handcrafted us, right? I mean, that's obvious, right? Because he loves me best, right? That's what we think. But the truth is, that man or that woman you're sitting next to is handcrafted by God himself. Your spouse is not the grind of life, but God gave you your spouse to go through the grind of life together.
You know, I often say I did two things right in my life. Jesus and Jill. And they both start with J, because i got to keep things pretty simple, you know. And when you think about it that way, if you have Jesus and you have a spouse that you realize God has given to you, it makes all the difference in the world. So, how can we have a marriage that thrives and doesn't just survive? How can we do that? Because life really wears us down. I haven't done this the other hours, but how many of you in here are parents or you're married and you're just tired? Yeah. It's hard, isn't it? Because when you first got married, everything was Disney, right? And now it's whatever the opposite of Disney is, okay? Life. Your spouse is not the grind of life. They are to help you through life. So here's what I want to look at. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at some ways or a formula for having a thriving marriage. And I, I got three words, all right? The first word is you have to honor your spouse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 is a verse that we love to use, and it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And we love to jump on the second part and say, you got to be sexually pure. Don't be sleeping around, okay? But we forget the first six words. Marriage should be honored by all. This church honors marriage. My question is, are you honoring your spouse in marriage? When you wake up in the morning, do you think, this is the guy that God handcrafted for me? Or do you think, man, his breath smells bad? <laughs> I think you can do both, okay? <laughs> But we have to realize that we have to honor each other. I think the way that we honor each other in marriage is through the words that we say and the actions that we do. Jill and I have been married for 27 years. My goal is to every single day to kiss her good morning and kiss her good night if I'm at home, okay? Every single day I tell her either in person or on the phone that I love her. Every single day I am praying and thanking God that he gave me the opportunity to go through life with her. You see, we have to honor our spouse. We have to honor. Sometimes we, we use nicknames for our spouses that aren't very endearing, but God wants us to know that we have to honor marriage, and that starts with honoring our spouse. The second word is enjoy. I think you have to enjoy your spouse. You remember when you first were dating and you'd go out to a restaurant and you'd be holding hands across the table and you'd be talking, you know, like that? Uh, Jill and I will be at a restaurant and, and we'll look over and see this couple talking and we're like, yeah, they're not married, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, what? Because I'm watching ESPN on the TV, right? <laughs> Yeah, I know, you know. Um, but you have to enjoy life with your spouse. Uh, this, the, one, of the, one of the scriptures that I love about this, it talks about it, comes out of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9. And I love how this verse starts out. It says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. What a great scripture. God is telling us, enjoy your spouse, okay? But then listen to how the verse goes on to say, enjoy the wife who you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all of your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. You know what that verse says? 
life stinks. Life is hard. Life is full of pain. Life is full of mistakes and pitfalls. But we're to enjoy life with our spouse. Why? Because God has given us our spouse to get through the grind of life. Our spouse is not the grind themselves. One of the, one of the uh, traditions that we have in our family is in the evenings um, when we're eating dinner together, I always like to ask questions. Yes, I'm that dad, okay? And so I will ask questions, and I'll, one of the questions I love to ask is, what's the funniest thing that happened today? Now, my wife works at a middle school where something's always crazy is happening. I work at a church which always has things going on, insane things going on. I have a daughter in college, a daughter's going to be a senior in high school, and then God gave us a surprise, and we have a little fifth grade boy, okay, a little 10-year-old, all right? I mean, there is always something. I can't tell you how many times we are eating dinner there, and we are just laughing, and we're snorting milk out of our nose, and tears are coming. I mean, it's awesome at the cast home at dinner time, okay? But, but we love, and you have to enjoy life with your spouse. If life with your spouse right now is not enjoyable, I would encourage you this afternoon to have a conversation saying, I want to have fun with you. I know what you want. No, not that. I want to have fun with you, okay? What can we do? And come up with a list of things that you can do. The third thing is you have to prioritize your spouse. You have to put them first. Next week, we're going to be talking about how, how to uh, parenting. And uh, there's a whole lot going on. But when we get the order that God gave us out of whack, when we elevate kids to a level they are never supposed to be, it causes havoc in our homes. But we prioritize our marriage. And the verse that talks about this comes out of Genesis 2.24, which he's already covered. and says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Okay, in other words, he's saying mom and dad. That word leave, okay, will leave, it literally means to sever. Not that you sever your relationship with your parents, but you move them off the pedestal and your married relationship is first. One of the gifts that I give Jill each year for Christmas is a calendar with a date circled every month. And that's date night. Twelve times a year we go out on a date night. For some of you, you're like, only twelve times? All right, our life's crazy, okay? We'll take what we can get. But that's a night where Jill and I get dressed up, no kids. We go to a restaurant that nuggets are not on the menu and the napkins are cloth, okay? And we just have time for the two of us. We went out uh, a week ago Friday to the restaurant and uh, something happened. We placed our order and 45 minutes later, the manager comes out and goes, I'm so sorry, we lost your order. The fan blew it behind the stove. <laughs> okay, you know, it's a new one. So if any waiters or waitresses here, use that one today. Yeah, fan. So our total dinner, we did get free cheesecake, by the way, but our total dinner lasted two and a half hours, and it was two and a half of the best hours of my month. Because I got to spend time with a woman that I love that God handcrafted for me, with no kids. I love my kids, just not all the time, okay? And I got to be with my, so you have to prioritize your marriage. So I don't know how you do that. The words that you say, the actions that you do, whatever it is, I think it's important, okay? And your kids need to see this because I believe one of the greatest gifts that you can give your children is that they know that you desperately, 100%, no matter what, love their mom or dad and put them first. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. When Jill and I teach a premarital class at church, and uh, so we have a bunch of couples in a, in, a, in a room. We have several weeks of classes, and one of the first questions we ask them is we say, what is the most important day of your marriage? 
And so we ask them, 90% of them say their wedding day. It's the day they've been dreaming about forever. It's the day they put the most planning into. It's the day they put the most money into. This is their day. A couple of them will say, well, um, the day that you have your first child, because that shows that as a couple, you're no longer a couple, you want to become a family. Or somebody will say, on your 25th anniversary, because then you show you've had this commitment, you've been there through thick and thin. Jill and I have kind of a different approach. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 8, which says, The end of the matter is better than the beginning. For Jill and I, our goal is that our strongest, most committed, the day that we are the most in love, is our last day of marriage. Now, I know for some of you in this room that have been divorced, you've been in a room on a last day of marriage, and it was not your best. It was not the strongest. But I want to challenge each and every one of you here to set a goal that the last day of your marriage will be your best and your strongest. I've only been in a room one time and seen a marriage end. And that was several years ago when my father passed away. My dad suffered from Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS, and at the end, um, it got pretty bad. And he knew his time was short, and so he called everybody into the room, the hospital room together, and my brothers and sisters and I, my mom, and he went around to each one, and he said something to each one. Each, each word took a whole breath, and so it took a while. And to be honest with you, I, I don't remember what he said to most people, but I'll never forget what he said to my mom as she was the last one, he said to her, I love you. I'll see you soon. And just a short time later, he passed away. You see, friends, that's a picture of a marriage that wasn't perfect, but on its last day, it was the strongest. And that's my prayer for you. No matter where you are, is that you would make the effort to have a marriage that thrives and doesn't just survive. And you would answer that question that God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? You know, for uh, a lot of people in this room, we have a relationship with God. But I know there's some people in this room here today that, that you don't. Maybe you're just coming back to church. Maybe church is brand new to you. Maybe you just got caught in traffic and ended up in here and they had coffee. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't believe that you're here by accident. You know, I said I remembered what my dad said to my mom. But my dad also said something to me that I will never forget. My dad looked at me and he said, Michael, you have done well. And it reminded me of that verse of Scripture in the book of Matthew where it says, when we die, we stand before the Father. And those that know and love Him and have accepted Him will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, that's my goal. As much as God wants you to have a great marriage and one that thrives and doesn't just survive, more than that, He wants you to have a great relationship with Him. And if you're here today and you don't have that, we're going to have the opportunity for that to happen.
So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning and let's pray that prayer. Father God, we love you so much. And I thank you that you make it so simple, that you love us with everything that you have. That even though we make mistakes and we sin and we are far from you, that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place, to forgive us of our sins. And Father, I would pray that you would help everyone here to accept that. But if there's someone here today that needs to accept that for the first time, I would pray that they would be able to do that and know that you have heaven waiting for them. And so if you're that person that's here today that wants to accept him for the first time, I want you just to pray, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for creating heaven to spend eternity together. And I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, the Emmanuel Church family wants to celebrate that decision. So let's celebrate, Emmanuel family. And if that's you today that prayed that prayer to accept him, we want to give you this gift of this one year through the New Testament Bible. It's my kind of Bible because you can read five minutes a day and get through the whole New Testament. That's what I love, you know, something I can do. But back in the corners, we have people that would love to talk with you and give you this Bible. And if you've got any questions, we'll be able uh, to do that. The other thing is, God wants you to have a great marriage. So my prayer would be, that you would continue to put him at the center of that marriage. Hey, it's been great to be here. I'll be back next week as we're going to talk about how parenting and how to have be parents that thrive and don't just survive. So come back next week. And will you do me a favor? Will you bring some of your neighbors and friends that really need to be better parents with you next week to church? Will you do that? We'll see you guys. Have a great week. <laughs>